We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, our last look here in this section that we've been looking at, verses 13 to 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. How much do we depend on God? How much is he a part of our plans or the acknowledgement of our present estate? This, our last message from this chapter, deals with something, a topic not often spoken of in our time, much less understood, mostly because of the fairy tale of self-determination. It is a fairy tale. It is a mirage, self-determination. How is it that someone can read Romans 11, verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things. But we can't stop the reading there because in light of that statement comes the sentiment that accompanies it, to whom be glory forever. In our Confession in chapter 3 and paragraph 1 on God's decrees. We read, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. God made his decrees before the world was without doing any contingency. There is no secondary plan. There is no, what if someone does this or what if someone does that? That's not in the decrees of God because what God has decreed must of necessity take place. If something keeps his decrees from taking place, then it becomes God instead of God being God. This is what God did before creation. His decrees were what happened before the world ever was. He decreed all that soever would come to pass. Now, how do things come to pass that he has decreed? How do they come to pass in time? Well, God had decreed all things that will come to pass. And come to pass mean happen in time. So before time, he decreed all that would happen in time. And then how are the decrees carried out? This is what we would call then providence. Again, in our confession in chapter 5 and paragraph 1, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence. So, as we look at Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 13, we see it begins with a command. And the command is this, consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. Now, 
in first reading, as you're looking at this, you might uh, think that it's a command to consider the work of God in creation. Like Psalm 8 and verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Now that's something that we should do, but it's not what is in view with the command. Instead, in that command, consider the work of God. While there's something good about thinking about his work in creation, it's not what we should be looking at here. Instead, he is saying, consider the works of God in relation to his providence. For we see that he is connecting and addressing this statement to those in verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Why were the former days better than these? People might ask that question. <clears throat> but in asking that question, it's questioning the providence of God. <clears throat> Why isn't today as good as it was in the past? Why don't we have the good old days today? And the providence of God is his sovereignty on display. As is written in Ephesians 1 in, in verse 11. That he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we read some from Psalm 107. It's a psalm that's written about the great works of God especially in regard to his deliverances. And there's a refrain that goes over and over again throughout this psalm. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That is repeated in verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. After each account of deliverance that is given, this is the refrain. And so the psalmist is doing the very thing in Psalm 107 that is prescribed in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 13. Consider the works of God. God works all he has decreed in time and according to the most wise and best purpose. It's very common and commonly taught, shamefully so. That all you have to do is come up with a plan and God will honor that plan. One of the false teachers that we see on television quite a bit twisted a verse out of Habakkuk where Habakkuk is told by God to write the vision and make it plain. And this one took it completely out of context. He said, well, you know, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to write down what you want. And then prayerfully submit it to him. Write what you want to see come to pass. Now that's awful. It's basically demonic. A misuse and twisting of scripture. Because if we look at the context, 
God is giving Habakkuk a vision to write about what was to come at a later time. But there are many who like that kind of teaching. I can control my future by just submitting to God what my plan is. Write it. Give it to God. And believe. It's a simple formula. Yet, it's not what God's word teaches. The work of providence, the working out of his eternal counsel, which is fulfilled in all that comes our way, in everything that befalls us. The first thing that we can look at here is he's telling us the work of God cannot be altered. It cannot be altered. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? It is a common thing that some will wish to know what if. I don't know how many times over the years, and I appreciate questions. Don't, don't get me wrong here because I think questions are, are, the only bad question is the one that doesn't get asked. And so asking questions is a very good thing. But there are some things you, you have to think about a little bit. When people come up and say, well, well what if? What if Judas changed his mind at the last moment and did not betray Jesus? What if Mary refused to have the baby? What if Adam and Eve had truly followed what God had told them to do? I can understand people coming up with ideas such as that, but you have to understand that speaks to your idea of, of maybe there was a way that God's plan would not work out, or maybe that wasn't God's plan, or something like that. God decreed these things to come to pass. How do we know it? Because they came to pass. It's, it's really that simple. If it comes to pass, guess what? God had decreed it from before the world was. <clears throat> the work of God cannot be altered. Who can make straight? Who can change the nature of things? No one can make things better by finding fault with them. There will be calamities. We can't stop what is to come. <clears throat> we can't be like Pecos Bill and with our lasso rope a hurricane or a tornado. <clears throat> we can't do various things like that. We can't stop what is to come. I read of a woman one time who lived in a small house in a subdivision. And each day she would drive by the house of her dreams. Oh, it was a big old two-story house that was built in the 30s and it was, it was white with with the gray, green shutters on it and had these beautiful columns out front and a wraparound porch. The house of her dreams. It had a lovely yard and every day she drove by it and she wished that she could have that house 
One day when she drove by, she found that it was for sale. And not only that, she couldn't believe how reasonable the price was. God must be in this. Yes, God wants me to have this house. And with the price of the house and with what she could sell her house for, she might have a, a bit of money left to do some renovation work. Running ahead of things, she went ahead and, and bought the house. And she thought, the basement is where I will start. She had all these ideas of what she wanted. She wanted a bathroom in the basement to finish off a finished basement. And her father had told her one time that the best thing for plumbing that ever was is copper pipe. And so in every house, there's what's called a plumbing wall where most of the plumbing is, is located and it runs straight up through the first floor and in the second floor. There were two by six wall studs and the pipes were joined or, or attached to that stud. But down there in the basement where the plumber was working, part of the, that well, part of that uh, wall had been covered, so he was kind of reaching behind and, and sweating, fitting the, the copper pieces together. And with the heat of the torch, without knowing what he had done, he had set fire to that two by six stud. Being an old house, being everything dried in, the flame raced up. It raced up the wall and had the house shortly in a blaze. And she came home from work to find fire trucks and a charred ruin. How can this be, she said. God gave me this house just to take it away. At the same time, her old house had not yet sold, and she returned to it. Insurance paid for most of the rebuilding of the dream house, which because of the memory of the fire, she decided to sell, and did so at a handsome profit. Behold, the goodness and the severity of God. The great question from Job to his wife in Job chapter 2 and verse 10. Shall we indeed accept good things from God? And shall we not accept adversity? See, that's what we're told here. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed one as well as the other. You see, you can be the godliest of all saints and still face adversity. Well, 
these people, and you hear them all the time on satellite TV and all of Kenneth Copeland and the rest of them. Oh, all you got to do is have faith and be good and God will continue to bless you. Well, Job was one of the best men on the planet at the time. God even said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No, no one's like him. And so the second thing that we see from there, the work must be accepted. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Surely God has appointed one as well as the other. The good or the adversity is not random. And as it is known only to God what is to come, then we cannot find out anything that's going to come after us. That is, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Prosperity or adversity. Or maybe the same in one day. On any given day, at any moment across our land, one person is living in great prosperity, another in great adversity. And one day, both may happen to the same person. That's why James tells us what he tells us in chapter 4, in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make and profit. Whereas, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Boasting like you know what tomorrow is going to bring and we don't. You see, prosperity is not an entitlement. And truth be known, as sinners, we really all we deserve is adversity. And that would be right and just on God's part, to just send that to us consistently. But there's also a spiritual dimension to this. Consider his works of providence. In two places. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was decreed that it would happen before time that Christ would die for us, but in time it was worked out. And what was it? What was that time? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. while we were yet sinners, before we could be punished for our sins, Christ died for us. And then 
one other place in Galatians, a chapter 4, in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, what God had decreed from before the world was in the fullness of time had come to be worked out. God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. At the right time, in time, God did this. He knew us before the world was and saved us in time. The question was asked in Ecclesiastes 7, 13, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? We know that nothing's impossible for God. He can straighten out what is crooked. Because only the creator can recreate. And so therefore, we see in this the wonderful working of the providence of God, even to the point when he calls us to his salvation. And he makes straight what was crooked by causing us to be born again. Do you know what that is? Have you experienced it in your own life? If you haven't, you can cry out to God. The old Puritans used to say, fly to God. Flee to him. Fly to the cross. Like a bird that flies to a tree for protection. Fly to him. Let's stand for prayer.